Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you at the 11 o'clock service this morning. Um, so today when you came in, hopefully you sat in a seat where you have an index card. Uh, they're there for a reason. I want you, uh, I want to encourage you at the end of the service to write down something on that card. Something that God spoke to you about during your time here in God's house today. Something that God revealed to you. Something that God lays on your heart while you're here in his house today. Uh, the prophet Habakkuk was given a revelation by God. And when God revealed himself to Habakkuk, he said, Habakkuk, I don't want you to just hear what I'm saying. I want you to write it down. Because I want you to be able to reference it and to be reminded of it. And not only do I want you to benefit from this revelation, but I want you to share this revelation with others. So I also want to say this today. This message about David, maybe this message isn't for you today. Maybe you're not in the same situation or season that David finds himself in today. But maybe you know of someone who is. And that the things that God is revealing to you today are things that you can share with a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. Because what we want to talk about primarily today is discouragement. Discouragement. And all of us are prone to discouragement. Because what we're going to see about David today is that David became discouraged. And that discouragement led to disillusionment. And that disillusionment then led to desperation, and that desperation led to defection from God. And if David, a man after God's own heart, can go down that path, then there's not a one of us in this room this morning that also can't go down that path. In fact, maybe you've went down that path before of discouragement disillusionment, desperation, and defection. So what I'd like to do this morning, before we even get into the passage this morning, and the passage for this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27. But before we even get into 1 Samuel 27, I want to share with you three different verses. I could not pick just one that I would like to encourage you to meditate on and memorize maybe in the coming week. And they certainly go along with the message this morning out of 1 Samuel 27. The first one is Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Here's what God says to the prophet Isaiah in order to tell his people. I am the high and exalted one who rules forever, and my name is holy. I dwell in an exalted and holy place, yet I also dwell amongst the discouraged and the depressed in order to cheer up the depressed and to encourage the discouraged. Then Isaiah 42, verse 3. Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed, he, God, will not break. 
a smoldering or flickering wick, he will not extinguish. And then finally, Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he delivers the discouraged. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he delivers the discouraged. Let's look at 1 Samuel 27 and see where David is and why he's there. And let's say this. David has been doing so well up to this point, right? I mean, we've been holding him up as an example of faith and faithfulness in spite of all the attacks against him and Saul, you know, pursuing him and trying to kill him. David has remained above it all and trusted and leaned into the Lord. But just like us, sometimes it's not the short-term intense trials that trip us up or overcome us or overwhelm us. Most of the time, it is the prolonged, protracted seasons of suffering and and trial that sort of wear on us and wear us down. And that's exactly what was happening to David here. David had been in this season of trial for a long time, and he was getting discouraged. And he was staying in this discouragement. And that discouragement led to disillusionment with God, to a feeling of desperation, and to eventual defection from God. And again, I want to repeat, if this happened in David's life, the man after God's own heart, it can happen to anyone. So let's talk about where David is at and what has brought him to this point. And you'll notice at the very beginning of 1 Samuel 27, what do we read? David thought to himself. Oh, there we go again. What do we say to ourselves? God's been speaking to us a lot about this at the beginning of this year. Because what we say to ourselves, what we speak to ourselves, is so powerful. And especially as God's people, what we speak to ourselves about God is most important. And we must learn to speak truth to ourselves all the time. And notice, David wasn't saying this even out loud. He was saying this to himself in his heart and in his mind. And yet what we learn is that what we even say to ourselves that no one else can hear but God literally shapes us. It forms us. It shapes our heart and our mind. And so we have to be very careful about the words that we're saying to ourselves especially when we're alone. We can begin to drown in our own erroneous thoughts. 
And we need to learn to identify the lies and the falsehoods and the things that we tell ourselves and push those out of our mind and refocus ourselves on the truth of God. So notice what David was thinking to himself. One of these days, I'm going to be swept away by the hand of Saul. Wow. After all that God has protected him from and preserved him through, this is where David's come to? Yeah, and that's where we can get to as well. One of these days, it's all over. There's no hope. Saul's going to get me one day. And then he says, there's nothing better for me, verse 1, than to escape to the land of the Philistines, enemy territory. Because Saul, he'll get tired of chasing me all over the territory of Israel, and I'll finally get some relief. There's nothing better for David than escape. When a person of God says there's nothing better than escape, we have forgotten God. And yet, that's the choice that sometimes we make out of desperation out of leaning into our own understanding rather than trusting in the Lord with all our heart, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 states. And that's exactly what David did. He ends up making a decision that's going to send him into a, a spiritual desert, if you will. And this spiritual lapse of David is going to last for 16 months. We know that in verse 7. You see there that the Bible tells us the length of the time that David was in Philistine territory was one year and four months. David is going to experience a spiritual lapse of faith for 16 months. That's a pretty long time. And very interestingly, in that whole 16-month period, David doesn't write one psalm. I think that says something as well. He is spiritually barren. He is spiritually not in a good place. And therefore, there's nothing flowing out of him. You see And then to illustrate where David is at in his heart and mind, look at verse 2. It says, David left and crossed over to the king of Gath, whose name was Achish, along with his 600 mighty men. Yes, it's talking to us about a physical crossing, but this is also picturing for us, in a sense, the defection and departure of David from his own God. He's leaving God at this point because he's went down the path of discouragement to disillusionment to desperation to defection. And he's crossing over now into enemy territory. In David's mind, this is the answer. 
And you'll note there, he never prayed about it. He never sought God's guidance and will about what he was to do. He's trying to figure this all out himself, and he's not in a good place. And not only does David leave and cross over into enemy territory, verse 3 tells us, oh, he settles there. (laughs) And again, we learn that in verse 7 where it says, oh, he didn't just go there for a week vacation or for a short period of time. He went there and stayed for an extended period of time. 16 months. And settles down and settles in with the king of Gath, the king of the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. This, again, illustrates for us where we can all get to, and it starts with discouragement. So we'll come back there in just a moment, but I want to finish this journey of David in 1 Samuel 27. In verse 4, we do learn that when Saul hears that David has escaped to Gath, he does relent from pursuing him. So I'm sure in David's mind, like in our minds at times, when we make a decision like this and we see immediate relief, we're thinking, hey, I made the right choice. Look, it's, it's working out for me exactly the way I wanted it to. I just wanted to escape from Saul, and this is what's happened. Saul stopped pursuing me, so I'm good, right? Ah, but the relief, the reprieve, the respite that David has received from this decision is going to be short-term. In fact, he's going to put himself by this decision in a predicament that could be even greater than Saul. He's going to land himself on the horns of a dilemma, as we're going to see in just a little while. This is a reminder to us that in our own fallen flesh, or even as we listen to the lies of the enemy... They will seek short-term relief without giving any consideration to the long-term ramifications and consequences of our choices and decisions. We have to be careful of that because we can assume or even rationalize that, well, look, this decision got me what I was looking for, not realizing that we could have put ourselves in an even more precarious position by this decision. And here's something else I want to say about David's decision. We are told in verse 3 and verse 4 that David's decision affected his 600 mighty men, their families, and David's family as well, because we're told that they all went with David when he made this decision, including David's two wives, which, by the way, that's a whole other thing that's going to haunt David because that is clearly not God's will. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on in our series on David. 
But what I want to point out is this. You and I do not live in a vacuum. Therefore, the decisions and choices we make will affect everyone else in our orbit. Everyone. Look at David. David's the one that made the decision to leave and cross over, but he's affecting all these other people by his decision. Every decision and choice that you and I make doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone else that touches our lives or that our life touches. And that even includes the most maybe painful decision someone can make, and that's to take their own life. Because even in someone taking their own life, they may rationalize in their own minds, this is just between me and my God. No, it's not. It's going to affect a lot of other people that are left behind to pick up the pieces of that decision. In verse 5, we learn something very sad. When David gets to Philistine territory, we are invited into this conversation between David and King Achish of Gath. And notice what David says. If I have found favor with you, wow, how far David has fallen. He's currying favor with a pagan king. And then he says this, if I have found favor with you, will you provide me and my people a, a town out in the countryside that we can live in while we're here? Because your servant doesn't want to presume to live with you in your royal city. Your servant? Has David gotten to such a state that he has forgotten he is the servant of the Most High God and now he's become the servant of a pagan king? Because this is a reminder to us that we as human beings were created to worship and serve someone or something and we always will. We're always going to be serving and worshiping someone or something. That's not the question. The question is, what are we going to be worshiping and who are we going to be serving? And David has gotten to such a spiritual state that instead of worshiping and serving the God who will love him more than anyone ever could, he's now currying the favor and offering himself to be the servant of this pagan king, an enemy of Israel, an enemy of the very people that God has planned to put him as king of one day. Wow. Pretty incredible, isn't it? And so Achish says, hey, there's this town out there called Ziklag. Why don't you guys settle there? And the Bible even informs us that up until this day, Ziklag has been part of the territory that the leaders of Judah have overseen. So it sort of became a permanent gift from the Philistines, whether they realized it 
or not. And then verse 7 tells us the length of time that he was in Philistine territory was 16 months. David now has, in a sense, sold himself out to be a mercenary soldier for the enemies of God. I mean, they know his military prowess. This king of Gath, the hometown of Goliath, very well knows that this is the young man that defeated the giant and lopped off his head. They know about his great victories in battle that this young man has had. So the fact that he's offering to be of assistance to the Philistines, they're like, great, we now have a great military leader that we can now put in charge of helping to defeat our enemies. So notice now what David, though, has done to himself. He's now going to have to walk a tightrope because while he is there, he's got to appease the king of the Philistines. But at the same time, he can't go against his own people or else they'll never accept him and embrace him as their king. So then look at verse 8. What David begins to do is to lead his men to raid certain districts and towns. But he can't be truthful when he gets back to King Achish about where he's at and what he's doing because where he's raiding is really the enemies of Israel, the Girgashites, the Gershites, and the Amalekites. And the Bible says that when he goes and he raids these places, he doesn't leave anyone alive. Pretty brutal. And the reason is because you keep reading that when he goes back to Achish, first of all, he takes plunder, a cut of the plunder, from raiding all these towns back to Achish to ingratiate himself even more to the king. But then when he gets back there, King Achish says, well, where have you been raiding today? And David lies. He deceives Achish. He says, oh, we've been to the Negev. And the Negev was the southern part of Judah. So basically what David is saying is, well, we went to basically have war with my own people, your enemies. Because he can't tell Achish the truth. Achish will have him killed. So now you see that David's discouragement has not only led to disillusionment and desperation and defection, but now deception. David is living a lie and has to keep lying in order to stay in this position where he's walking this tightrope between trying to appease the Philistines as well as trying to appease his own people. Because it says in the text, he could not take the chance on leaving anyone alive in the towns that he raided because he did not want anyone to get back to the king and rat him out and basically tell the king, hey, he's not really where he says he is. He's somewhere else. So now his whole life is this ongoing deception. 
that's swirling around him. So much so that the Bible tells us that in verse 12, Achish, the king of the Philistines, literally trusted David. David's deception of the king worked. But let me say this at this point. Just like David, we may fool or deceive other people, but we can never fool or deceive God. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that's what they're going to reap. People can fool us, we can fool other people, but God is never fooled. So David may think, I've gotten away with something. In fact, maybe in his own mind at some point he's rationalized, you know what, life's pretty good. I mean, look, I got away from Saul. I'm living in my own town with all my peeps in Ziklag. I've deceived the king. I'm actually destroying Israel's enemies, though he thinks I'm destroying Israel. But now, as we say, David's decisions are going to come back to roost. And David is going to find himself in a real predicament, a real pickle, as we say. In fact, notice in verse 12, Achish not only trusts David, Achish says to himself, David must be hated by his own people at this point. Because Achish is thinking he's going down and having war against his own people. Helping to secure the southern border of Philistia against the Israelites. And then he says, he's going to be my servant from now on. Well, wasn't he your servant before? Yeah, but notice what's happening here. Achish in his mind is thinking, you know what? This isn't some short-term thing. Achish is envisioning that David is going to basically live with the Philistines for the rest of his life and become this great general that the kings of the Philistines can count on. Now think about the irony of that. What is God's plan for David? That David be the king of his people, the Israelites, and yet this pagan king envisions David in a totally different way. Wow. Unbelievable. So then I want you to just move with me just for a few moments today into chapter 28 to just the first couple of verses because here's where it really gets interesting because the Bible tells us then in 1 Samuel 28 verse 1 that there came a time where the Philistines started to gather themselves together to go to war against, uh-oh, Israel. And King Achish looks at David and says, oh, you realize that you and your men must go into battle with me against Israel. <laughs> yeah, you had some privileges by living here, but you also, David, have some responsibilities and obligations. Payday. What was going to be going through David's mind? This is not the way David thought this was going to end up. 
I don't know what he was thinking. We don't know what he was thinking. But just like us, we probably think, I can make a decision to defect from God and escape and run, and somehow everything's going to work out. And God now is bringing all the circumstances to bear upon David. What's he going to do? And in verse 2, he tells the king, because he's got to keep up this ruse, says, well, basically, you haven't seen all that your servant can do. And then the Bible tells us King Achish makes him his, part of his bodyguard. But literally what it means is the keeper of his head, which is pretty ironic considering the king of Achish knew that he had lopped off Goliath's head. I don't know whether that's the guy I'd want to be keeping my head or not. In a sense, the king of the Philistines trusts David so much that he basically is saying in modern terms, I'm going to make you head of my secret service. And not only are you going to be heading up my bodyguard, but because you are heading up my bodyguard in those days, it's going to be your responsibility that when we go to bat against Israel, when we go to war and battle against Israel, you're going to be the one personally responsible to kill Saul. Whoa. Up to this point, what's David been running from? Touching Saul. I can't touch the Lord's anointed. You know, that, that, that's up to God. And now, because of his decision, he's put himself into this position where he's going to be forced to have to raise his hand against Saul unless something changes. Now, hang in here with me. First of all, we're going to let it hang there. In a couple weeks... We'll come back and we'll see how this is resolved. But I want to say this. This mess that David has gotten himself into, God brings him out of. Now, not without pain. David's going to experience some pain. But God is going to bring David out of this mess. And I say that to all of us to encourage us. Because maybe in your life, or maybe right now, you've went down this path like David. From discouragement to disillusionment to desperation to defection. And you have found yourself walking away from your God and getting yourself into a bad place. I want to remind you, the same God who brought David back out of his mess is the same God who can bring you and me out of our mess. He didn't leave David where David was. In fact, we know that he finally, after David humbled himself, became the king of Israel. God's plans God's purposes for David were not thwarted even by David. Remember that. But secondly, one of the reasons why we need to talk about this is it goes back to where did this all and how did this all get started? David didn't just wake up one day and defect from his God and leave him and cross over to the other side. It started with discouragement. And all of us, if David can get discouraged, you and I can get discouraged. 
which is why we need to always be allowing God to encourage us and to deliver us from our encouragements. And one of the main ways God does that, listen to me, is through someone else, another human being. See, I believe that one of the things you see here in David's life was that he got into a discouraged state and he didn't reach out to one other single soul. He tried to struggle through his discouragement by himself. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. Isolated, feeling like we're isolated, feeling like we're all alone, stuck in our discouragement, not reaching out, not wanting to reach out to one other person. I believe with all my heart that if David would have reached out to his great friend Jonathan, Jonathan would have been there and would have been willing to sit with David in his discouragement and allowed God to use him and his friendship to encourage David. David didn't do that. I believe that if David would have reached out to Abishai or Ahimelech at this point, I believe that one of them would have come to David and would have been one of God's instruments to help encourage him. This is the way God works. And so I want to say to us today, when you find yourself beginning to go down that road of discouragement or you are in that season of discouragement, don't stay there by yourself. It is the worst thing you can do. Reach out to someone, and not just anyone, but to someone that you know you can count on to be a spiritual strength and encouragement to you. Because God never meant for us to go through discouragement alone. So let me repeat the verses I started with today. Isaiah 57, 15. This is what the high and exalted one says. The one who rules forever, whose name is holy. Yes, I live in an exalted and high place, but I also come down and meet you and I right where we are. Even in the midst of our discouragement and depression, God says, I dwell with the discouraged and depressed in order to cheer up the depressed and encourage the discouraged. And that's what God wants to do today. Maybe even God wants to use you today to share this with someone else that you know is discouraged. Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed God will not break. God will come along when we are bruised and bent over and won't snap us off and be done with us. God will nurture us and get us back together and restore us again so that we can be a strong reed. When God sees our fire, whether it's a spiritual fire or just our human fire, if you will, of our soul flickering and smoldering and, and, and waning, God doesn't come along and snuff us out. God comes along and wants to reignite us that's who our God is. And then finally, Psalm 34, verse 18. 
The Lord is near the brokenhearted. If you're here today and you brought a broken heart to the house of God, God is near you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you. He understands you're discouraged. There's nothing wrong with, you know, getting into being discouraged at times. God just doesn't want us to stay there because it doesn't lead to anything good. It only leads to disillusionment, desperation, and defection from him. God says in Psalm 34, verse 18, I can deliver the discouraged. And that's what God wants to do this morning. God is using David's example and wants us to see if a man after God's own heart can get to this place in his life, then we can too. We can go down that same path as David, but we don't have to. We can choose to be encouraged. Do you realize there are some human beings that don't want to be encouraged? They literally refuse it. They're like, nope. And that might be the case. But don't let that be you. Embrace the encouragement that God wants to give to you today. Embrace how God wants to encourage you and the people that God may want to use to be his instruments to encourage you. Don't push them away. Because when we stay in that state of discouragement, it's not going to end well for us. Be encouraged today. So, as we finish up our time in God's word today, start thinking and praying about what does God want me to write on this piece of paper? And I'm gonna ask Nicole and the worship team to come now. Maybe you wanna take some time to think about it, pray about it. Maybe you already know something that God wants you to do. Maybe it's an action step. God, I, I know that this is what I need to do based upon what I've heard God say to me today, what he's revealed to me. Maybe this is something I need to share with someone else. Maybe this is a revelation that I've received today from God that I hadn't heard up to this point. Maybe there's something new or fresh that God has given me insight into today and you wanna write that down and here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Take those cards with you. Put it in your Bible, put it on your refrigerator, put it in a place where you can reference it and be reminded of it. Take your time, and maybe you don't want to even write something now. Maybe you want to go home and think about it more. That's fine. No pressure. Just want to encourage you. And when you're finished writing, we're going to start worshiping. And when you're finished writing, I'm just going to ask you to stand and join us as we worship the Lord here today. And we sing a couple songs that really help us to focus on being encouraged and be strengthened by the Lord. So you do your business with the Lord and when you're done writing, you may stand and just join us in worship this morning.